0: This is the Scottish Football Citizen, bringing you the best of Scottish football from the past. I'm Andy Kerr, and this week Jim Orr, Lindsay Hamilton and myself look forward to the Scottish League Cup final by looking back at one of the greatest finals ever played in the competition in 1994.
1: Before we get started, we have this week's trivia question for you. Which Scottish manager was the first to win a domestic treble of the League, League Cup and Scottish Cup? We'll give you the answer at the end of the podcast.
0: This weekend sees the Scottish League Cup final being played at Hampden Park between Livingston and St Johnston. Both sides have appeared in finals before. The Livy Lions won the trophy in 2004 against the youthful Hibernian side while Saints have appeared as finalists twice against Celtic in 1969 and Rangers in 1998. Saints have yet to lift the trophy, but may well get their chance against a strong Livingston side. In this episode, we're going to be looking back at the 1994 final between Wraith Rovers and Celtic. A fierce David vs Goliath battle to see who would lift the trophy. On the 27th of November 1994, Rovers and Celtic travelled to Ibrooks for the League Cup final. The final was held away from Hampden Park as it was undergoing renovations at the time. Celtic may not have been at their best for much of the 1990s, but still had a strong team with Scotland internationals at their disposal. By contrast, Rovers were in the 1st Division, having been relegated the previous season. The Rovers were looking to bounce back into the Premier Division under the stewardship of Jimmy Nicol. As a player, Nicol had enjoyed spells at Manchester United, Sunderland, Rangers, Dunfermline Athletic and now Wraith Rovers, where he was player-manager. His team were potential contenders for a return to the top flight but would they be able to handle themselves against a the Celtic side who were in the middle of a title drought and desperate to claim any silverware they could?
2: In order to get to the final, both sides entered the competition in the second round. We'll look at how Wraith got to the final first. They travelled up to Dingwall where they saw Ross County in a 5-0 thrashing. They then hosted Coomarlick at Stark's Park in the third round they won 3-2 in a closely fought game. In the quarter finals they travelled to McDermid Park to play St Johnson and won 3-1. Wraith avoided being drawn against Aberdeen or Celtic in the semi-finals and instead went back to McDermid Park to play Airdrie thus guaranteeing the final would be a clash between a Premier Division side and a First Division side. Airdrie had already knocked Wraith out of the Challenge Cup that season, so this was a chance for Jimmy Nichol's men to exact some revenge on the Diamonds. Wraith went ahead in the first half through Ali Graham, but in the second half their keeper Scott Thompson was a judge to have handled the ball outside his box and the referee gave him his marching orders as a result. The Glasgow Herald reported that their correspondent believed it was a tight call, with Thompson being unlucky. Dave Cutwood was the outfield player who made way for 17-year-old sub goalie Brian Potter and within five minutes of Thompson sending off, Airdrie he were back on level terms at 1-1. Potter was unlucky that Steve Cooper's strike from 25 yards was simply a great shot. The supporters from Broomfield were starting to believe it might be their day to make it to a final, but the Rovers held firm to take the game firstly to extra time and then to penalties. In the shootout, sub-goalie Potter was the hero of the Kirkcaldy men. He guessed which way Alan Longs would shoot and save the final air-two penalty to see Wraith into the final. Before Potter knew it, the fans had invaded the pitch and had him up on their shoulders. When the team went out to celebrate in Kirkcaldy that night, the hero of the hour was unfortunately too young to get into pubs and nightclubs to celebrate his achievement. Celtic's road to the final started in the second round at Somerset Park in Ear, where they defeated the Honest Men 1-0. The third round saw a trip to Dens Park in Dundee, where they defeated the Dees 2-1. In the quarterfinals, it was Dundee United who visited Celtic Park, with the home side winning 1-0, to set up a semi-final against Aberdeen at Ibrox. It finished 0-0 after 90 minutes, and they gave it into extra time. Celtic had an excellent chance to go ahead soon after the restart when a loose Aberdeen back pass intended for Theo Snellders was picked up by Simon Donnelly but his attempt was cleared off the line by Gary Smith. In the 99th minute, John Collins took a corner for the Celts which was headed back out to him. He whipped the ball in again for Brian O'Neill to head the ball into the net for what would prove to be the winner. Both teams had fought hard to get to the final and now they would have a big game to look forward to in late November 1994.
0: In the build-up to the final, Celtic were the overwhelming favourites to lift the cup at Ibrox. Celtic fans will not remember the 1990s as their finest decade. At this point, their last league title had come in their centenary season of 1987-88. When Billy McNeil took them to a league and Scottish Cup double. Their last trophy in 1994 had been the Scottish Cup in 1989, when they defeated Rangers 1-0 with a goal from Joe Miller. Since then, the hoops had been eclipsed by Graham Sunnis and subsequently Walter Smith's Rangers side, who were in the middle of an extremely dominant period. Several Celtic managers had tried to stop Rangers' domestic dominance, including Billy McNeil, Liam Brady and Lou McCari. None since McNeil managed to win any silverware, and Celtic recruited Tommy Burns after his excellent job of taking Kilmarnock from the 1st Division back to the Premier Division. Andy Walker described the mood as such. If you are second in Glasgow, you are last. There is nothing good about being second. You taste it every day. You feel it every day. The local press go to town on it. The local radio go to town on it. It is in your face every day. It is very intense. Despite this, Celtic would be the bookies' favourites to lift the cup against a team from a league below them.
1: Rafe Rovers had been managed by Jimmy Nichol since 1990. When he joined the club they were part-time, and to save money, the players would take their own kit home to wash. Nichol helped to elevate the club and reach the Premier Division by winning the first division title in 1993, pipping Tommy Burns Kilmarnock to the title by 11 points. Both sides were promoted, but following restructuring of the Premier Division the following season, three sides would be relegated. With finished in 11th place, second bottom and were relegated alongside Dundee and St Johnstone. Nicholl's side started life in the 1st Division poorly, but by the autumn had started to find some form, and now they had a cup final to play in. The team from the Lang Toon had reached the final once before, way back in 1949, when they were defeated 2-0 by a strong Rangers team that included Bobby Brown, Willie Woodburn, Sammy Cox, Jock Tiger Shaw and George Young. This time, Jimmy Nichol would be hoping that his team would be upsetting the odds and taking the Cup back to Fife for the first time since East Fife won the trophy in 1953. The day before the final, Rafe Rovers had been given permission by Rangers to use the Ibrox pitch for training before they retired to the Erskine Hotel for the night. It wouldn't be the only helping hand that Rangers would give the Fife side against their Glasgow rivals. The Jazz kitman left a large bag of studs in the home dressing room that would be ideal for the players on the slick autumnal pitch. The light blues might not have been playing in that day, but due to Jimmy Nichol's connection as a former Rangers player, they would be doing their part to help Rafe attempt to defeat Celtic. As the teams lined up in the tunnel, the Celtic players looked focused on the big game that lay ahead. This would be a chance for several of the players to win their first trophy with Celtic. Despite most of the Rafe Rovers players being in the same boat, having never won a trophy before, they were joking and laughing with each other. It could have been any other game for the five side as they took to the field. Over 45,000 were in attendance for the big occasion.
2: Teams on that day were... Wraith Rovers, Scott Thompson, Steve McInnesby, Julian Brodel, Dave Neary, Sean Dennis, David Sinclair, Stevie Crawford, Gordon Deale, Ali Graham, Colin Cameron and Jason Dale. Substitutes were Brian Potter, Jason Robotham and Ian Redford. The Celtic team was Gordon Marshall, Mike Galloway, Tom Boyd, Mark McNally, Tony Mowbray, Brian O'Neill, Simon Donnelly, Paul McStee, Charlie Nicholas, Andy Walker, and John Collins. And their subs were Pat Bonner, Paul Byrne, and Wally Falconer.
0: The first real chance of the game fell to Celtic, who won a free kick around 35 yards from Scott Thompson's goal. John Collins hit the ball sweetly to curl around the Wraith defensive wall but Scott Thompson was equal to it and smothered the shot. Colin Cameron then had a chance when he shot from just inside the corner of the Celtic box, but his shot flew just over the crossbar. Things really livened up in the 19th minute. Wraith won a corner which came in for Stevie Crawford to take the ball down and control it. With the help of Gordon Dayell coming out towards him, he was able to evade the Celtic defence before closing in on Gordon Marshall. 17 yards out, Crawford aimed low and shot the ball into the net past Marshall. Wraith Rovers won, Celtic nil. The Govan stand erupted in a sea of dark blue as the underdogs went ahead. Celtic now had to come out and attack to get themselves on a level footing. Andy Walker and John Collins combined to allow Collins to shoot at goal, but Scott Thompson was equal to the shot. Tom Boyd then went on a mazy run with the ball and shot, only to hit the post. Celtic had the firepower in their team, but it wasn't going their way so far. Undeterred by this, Boyd again took the ball in a similar position inside the Wraith half, he was able to cut inside and cross the ball into the box where two men in hoop jerseys were waiting. Mike Galloway headed the ball into the path of Andy Walker who saw the keeper diving to his right. Walker headed the ball into the bottom right corner of the net and Celtic had their leveller. Wraith Rovers won, Celtic one. At half time it was level and both sides had their chances to score plenty more. When the teams emerged from the dressing rooms for the second half, it was Celtic who had come out looking the more determined side. Having not won anything for five and a half years, Tommy Burns was under serious pressure to deliver from his board and his fan base, and his players knew exactly what was at stake. One of the biggest chances for Celtic in the second half came when Andy Walker was able to run along the near side of the pitch until he was around 5 yards from the byline. Walker's cross was perfect and beat Julian Brodel to find Tom Boyd who just had to keep his shot low, but the Celtic defender instead put the ball wide after an awkward bounce. Jock Brown's commentary revealed that Boyd had not scored for Celtic for two and a half years at the time of the final, and perhaps it showed with his finish. At this point, the Rovers were hanging on and doing their best to defend wave after wave of attack. Late in the game, Wraith were able to intercept the ball in the middle of the park and it looked like they would break with the ball. However, A pass from Gordon de that was going in the direction of Ali Graham was intercepted by Brian O'Neill who played the ball to Paul McStay on the left wing for Celtic. The clock was ticking and the prospect of extra time was looming. McStay travelled with the ball before cutting inside and playing a perfect through ball to Andy Walker who found himself on the edge of the penalty box. With only Scott Thompson standing in his way, Walker shot at goal and his effort rebounded off the post. However, the rebound brought the ball straight back out into the box. With Thompson still sprawled on the ground after his acrobatic leap trying to save the shot, Charlie Nicholas managed to beat Julian Brodel to the ball and stroked it into the back of the net. Both stands full of green and white behind the goals erupted as Walker's goal put the favourites ahead. Jock Brown's commentary said this goal surely will win the match for Celtic and it looked that way. Wraith Rovers won, Celtic two and with only six minutes left to play the Rovers would have a mountain to climb to win the cup now. The game had barely restarted When Wraith won a free kick just inside the Celtic half. The veteran Dave Neri, cannoned the ball towards the Celtic box and although it was headed away by the green and white defence, the ball only went as far as David Sinclair, five yards from the box. Sinclair gave the ball to Jason Dare who jinked past his man and unleashed a powerful shot at goal. Gordon Marshall was able to parry the ball away but the danger wasn't over yet for Celtic. Gordon de in his final season with the Kirkcaldy men and with his last chance to win a major honour, had beaten the offside trap and was ready to pounce. He was able to head the ball past the helpless marshal and into the net. The Govan stand went wild with delight as the men in dark blue celebrated wildly. Wraith Rovers 2, Celtic 2, and after only two minutes, the men from the 1st Division had got themselves back on level terms. Celtic had been stunned by the sudden equaliser, and the one hand they had on the trophy had been snatched away. It would have to be extra time to see if a hero could step up to the plate and produce a winning goal. While Celtic would have been favourites to win from this point, Being a Premier Division side and having a higher level of fitness, the Rovers were up for the challenge. Colin Cameron had one of the best chances to put his side ahead when he picked up the ball from a rebounded David Sinclair shot and fired it towards the Celtic goal. On this occasion, Gordon Marshall was equal to it and held the ball firmly in his grasp. Going into the final minutes, and with the score still level. Celtic won themselves a corner. The ball was whipped in from the corner, and Mike Galloway's head met the ball, only for it to go into the side netting and give Wraith a goal kick. Right after that, referee Jim McCluskey blew his whistle for the end of extra time. It would have to be penalties to settle the final, only the second time ever that a League Cup final had gone to penalties. Not only would the cup be at stake in the shootout, there was also a chance to compete in the UEFA Cup. John Litster, football historian and Rovers fan, takes it from here with his description of the penalty shootout that followed and the final whistle in extra time. As in the semi-final, it was the team's youngsters who stepped up to the penalty mark. Sean Dennis shot right as Marshall dived the other way. Willie Falconer did the same as Thompson guessed wrongly. Jason Dare shot right, but rather close to the goalkeeper, and it went under him. A close call. John Collins shot left with Thompson going the other way. Colin Cameron's shot into the left corner was too strong and accurate for the goalkeeper to save it. Andy Walker shot left with Thompson diving right. Stevie Crawford reprised Dare's effort, Marshall's unhappy afternoon continuing as the ball went under him. Paul Byrne shot left with Thompson diving right. Stevie McInnesby and Marshall did the same. The last of the mandatory 10 penalties was the closest to being missed. Mike Galloway shot to the right, touched by Scott Thompson, as it deflected over the line. With all ten penalties scored, this was crunch time. Up stepped the Welsh substitute Jason Rowbotham to take the first sudden death penalty. He took his run up and smashed the ball into the top right hand corner of the net. Wraith Rovers now had one hand on the cup, but up to take Celtic's sixth penalty was the captain Paul McStay. A true Celtic legend, McStay could always be relied upon for goals. As Jock Brown said, Unthinkable, surely, for the skipper to miss. Jimmy Thompson remembers, We had the feeling that McStay was going to miss his penalty. He kept going back to the ball and touching it. I think he touched it three times, and we're all looking at each other saying, He's in trouble here. He's not sure of this. Taking a deep breath, McStay started his run towards the ball on the spot. McStay struck the ball with his right foot and aimed to his left. But Thompson was equal to the ball, and the 12,000 Rovers fans in the Govan stand went ballistic. While Thompson ran towards the centre of the park, the rest of the team made for the Kirkcaldy crowd and McStay was consoled by his disconsolate teammates. Wraith Rovers, against all odds, had beaten Celtic to win the League Cup and earn themselves a place in Europe next season. Stevie Crawford said, We just realised then what it meant to everybody. Gordon Dayell led his victorious teammates onto the podium on the pitch, turning to the Govan stand as he hoisted the trophy into the air. Once all the players had enjoyed their shot of the trophy in front of the fans, the party moved into the dressing room where John Gregg and Ali McCoyst were waiting with Rangers labeled bottles of champagne to toast the Fifers. The party went on long into the night in Kirkcaldy as the club celebrated their first major honour and a chance to potentially take on some of Europe's finest teams in the UEFA Cup the following year. To use the popular phrase, People really were dancing in the streets of Wraith. As for Celtic, it was a huge disappointment for Tommy Burns and his team. A chance to win silverware against lower league opposition had been blown, and Celtic would also lose out to Rangers yet again in the league. However, Tommy Burns had another chance at the end of the season to get his hands on a trophy and he delivered the Scottish Cup back to Celtic Park after an absence of six years. A headed goal by Pierre van Hooydonk was enough to beat Airdrionians in the final and end Celtic's drought. Wraith Rovers enjoyed an excellent campaign from that moment onwards. Having struggled in the league from the start of the season, they went on a winning run that lasted for 14 games, and went on to clinch the First Division ahead of Dunfermline on the last day of the season. Gordon de Yale retired in the summer of 1995 on a high, having won a double for the Rovers. The following season, it got even better, as Wraith beat Gotu Trotter Felag of the Faroe Islands and the Akranes of Iceland to set up a dream clash with FC Bayern, whose players included Jürgen Klinsmann, and Jean Pierre Papin. While the German superstars won the first leg two nil at Easter Road, the Rovers found themselves one nil up at half time in Munich's famous Olympiastadion after Jean Pierre Papin missed a penalty and Danny Lennon scored from a free kick. In the end, Wraith lost two one on the night and four one on aggregate, but they had done themselves and Scotland proud the Rovers had the League Cup win to thank for the European adventure they went on, and the team had immortalised themselves at Starks Park forever.
1: At the start of this week's podcast, we asked you which Scottish manager was the first to win a domestic treble of the League, League Cup and Scottish Cup. The answer is Bill Striff of Rangers. Rangers were the first treble winners in season 1948, 1949, where they finished top of the league ahead of Dundee by one point, beat Rafe Rovers in the final of the League Cup and completed the treble with a resounding 4-1 win over Clyde in the Scottish Cup final. Billy Williamson, Jimmy Duncanson and George Young were the goalscorers in the win over Clyde.
0: Thank you for listening to this edition of the Scottish Football Citizen subscribe to us on your favourite podcast platform so you never miss an episode and join us again next week when we'll be looking back at more of the best of Scottish football from the past. Special thanks to Lindsay Hamilton for appearing on the podcast. In addition to producing the Football Special weekly email newsletter for Football Memories Scotland, Lindsay also runs the Glasgow Football Tour which you can check out online. The Scottish Football Citizen is written, edited and produced by Andy Kerr for Football Memories Scotland, in association with Alzheimer Scotland and the Scottish Football Museum. Additional contributions from Robert Harvey, Jim Orr, Lindsay Hamilton and Richard McGrady. Additional material from BBC Sports Scotland, Sky Sports, The Glasgow Herald, The Daily Record, Glasgow Times and Always Next Season. 125 years of Draith Rovers Football Club 1883 to 2008 by John Leicester.